Good evening and welcome to this assembly. In your New Testament, let me take us to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament. The historical context we derive from the content of the book. The recipients were Christians, obviously of Jewish background, that emerges in the content. And these people were under pressure to drift back from Christ to resume their previous religion in Judaism. There are statements that signal that content, like the opening of chapter 2. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Here's one way to think of this. They were losing their focus. Now, if someone is losing their focus, what's necessary is to restore their focus, sharpen their vision, and then going forward to protect that good focus. That's one way to read and study the book of Hebrews. And in addition to the opening statement of chapter 2, here are three other passages that seem to carry that theme. Don't lose your focus. If you have, restore your focus and don't drift away. I'm talking about Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now the writer, after saying, consider Jesus in Hebrews 3, commends Moses. But he says in verse 3 that Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. And if you have the New International Version, it says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. I see focus there. Their focus needed to turn to Jesus and not back to Moses and the religion of Judaism. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 down to the end of the chapter, you'll see the same. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little time, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So, in the beginning of this passage, the writer is asking his readers to reflect 
to remember when their focus was exactly where it needed to be. Their faithfulness to Christ had life, energy, and good focus. He says, you were enlightened, you endured hardship, you had compassion on those in prison, you even joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. You once had good, clear focus. You need that now, the writer says, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And then turn to chapter 12. In chapter 12, there is another statement where I think focus is implied. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, looking to Jesus. That's a focus statement. These Christians who were under threat of temptation and drifting away needed to restore and protect their focus. Now, could that be relevant today for people? Are there people who were once clearly focused on being a follower of Christ, but slowly they lost that focus? Could this be happening to me or to you now? I believe this has obvious relevance to our time and is written for our self-examination today. We're going to consider tonight restoring and protecting our focus. Can we begin by identifying some of the distractions that distort our focus or cause us to lose our focus. I'm going to spend some time just identifying what can cause us to lose our focus. Distractions. Examples. Holding tightly to resentments. So, you were hurt, disappointed, offended, and those memories and troubles just get stuck in your head. Old resentments become poison that moves throughout your head, taints your attitude, makes it challenging to worship and treat people with goodwill. If you give these thoughts a home in your mind and do not reject them, you lose your focus. You grow weary and faint-hearted and eventually distant from God. Perhaps we sometimes give our thoughts too much weight. And our attitudes as a result go south. We let negative thoughts just hang around in our head. And the price for that can be we are distracted from good discipleship and we lose our focus. There is something that could be called worldly success interference. Worldly success interference. 
Now the Bible commends healthy ambition, hard work, and discipline to provide for yourself and those toward whom you have responsibility. Our spiritual perspective and focus can suffer though if we let our secular life rob our spiritual life. This is where we need to remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33 that will become a subject of another sermon later this month. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. One part of worldly success that can damage discipleship is so busy with worldly success that we put our souls at risk. And the challenge here is not to make just a few adjustments and tweaks in your schedule, but to not let your spiritual lives slip away in preference to your financial, career, or secular life. Vague dissatisfaction. If we begin to drift away from acknowledgement of God in our lives and faithful service to the Lord, the devil has a way of loading us down with unrest and doubt and dissatisfaction that may not have a label. And we may struggle to identify what's going on. The devil really wants us to think that something just isn't right, but he doesn't want us to give it a name to explore our attitude and relationship about it. Uh, it. It doesn't feel like it used to feel, we might say to ourselves. Maybe this whole business of following the New Testament is not that important, and we gradually lose our good focus because we've allowed the devil to come in that door of our mind and give us just vague dissatisfaction. He uses that against us. Current events... Being patriotic and concerned about the nation and world affairs is legitimate. By definition, Christians care about society at large, and we care about the plunge of a nation in the wrong direction. But we can become obsessive and generate more zeal for our patriotism than we do for Christ. And we're going to lose our focus just there. There is no doubt there are Christians who have shifted their focus from New Testament discipleship to nationalism. And the more nationalism occupies their mind and their life and their vocality, the less discipleship matters. And of course we can wrap everything up that we're talking about in terms of losing your focus back here in Hebrews 12. And we can call it all sin. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So let's just talk now about the problem. 
of losing our focus. Sin, transgressing God's law, not only distracts from our good focus, if not dealt with, it changes our focus from good to bad, from heaven toward the other outcome. It begins with taking sin lightly, then dismissing the consequences, and then becoming a full-time participant, focusing on God no more. To establish and restore and protect my focus in life, I need to honestly face the distractions, resentments held tightly, Worldly success interference, vague dissatisfaction, obsession with current events, plain old sin that it says here clings so closely. So let's focus on focus. How to restore and sharpen your focus, restoring your focus. If you need to, sharpening your focus, keeping your focus, let's talk about how we do that. And these answers I'm giving are very simple. You've heard all of them before. This isn't new information for anyone here. But may we never ever get to a place where these simple responses to God are uninteresting are dull, are in the category that says, yes, I've heard that before. So let's talk about what can protect and sharpen our focus on our relationship with God. I spoke of God's grace this morning. Well, His grace offers us these means to respond to Him and maintain good focus. Prayer. Jesus is our example. Luke 5.16 where it says he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Luke 6.12 up into a mountain to pray. He's showing us how to maintain our focus. Pray, the Bible says, without ceasing, fervently, pouring out your heart to the Father. Asking him to help you do better. Here's something I wrote down in my journal one time. Lord, help me in every way. I know I need help. And especially help me in ways I don't know yet that I need help. Prayer can protect and sharpen our focus. Worship. We're not talking about just showing up, coming to a place, but coming to the assembly with a reverent heart focused on God, thankful for Jesus Christ, ready to hear and concentrate on the words inspired by the Holy Spirit. How did the first Christians start their focus? Acts 2, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done 
through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Next Sunday morning, my sermon is the Lord's Day. What does that mean to you? The Lord's Day and what that should mean to us. Prayer, worship. We're talking about protecting and keeping and sharpening our focus. And then spend time with your thoughts directed to the Lord. The closer you are to God in your thoughts and your behavior when you're not in this building, the greater you can sharpen your focus. Peter said, therefore, gird your minds for action in 1 Peter 1.13. Keep sober in spirit. And then he said, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Private devotion. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then I'm going to add to that, and I'll explain what I mean by this. Be willing to step out of your routine. I think sometimes we get into a rut. And we do the same things we've always done. Well, maybe we should do the same things we've always done. But, as I said last Sunday night, can we do more? To engage in acts of service and obedience that's maybe new to us, but clearly pleasing to God. It has been said, none is so blind as the one who will not see. Maybe there are things we're just not willing to see that we need to do. Do we not see people who need us? Are we blind to fellow Christians who would be delighted and encouraged to hear from us? Have we lost our focus on serving? We worship, we read our Bibles, we pray and give. Do we serve one another? When we read our Bibles, we should not miss statements like this. That as I said earlier, we've, we've heard often. In love, serve one another. Step out of your routine. It will help you restore your focus. Take those very simple teachings of practical benefit. For instance, in the book of Romans in chapter 13, in verses 11 through 14. And just make sure you're doing those things. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but... Put on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So, I want to go back to where I started in Hebrews chapter 12. We're talking about resolving, restoring, protecting our focus. And you'll hear three words as I read this again that capture what we're talking about. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. May we begin the year and begin the week and begin tomorrow resolving that we will keep our focus, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let's be standing as we sing.